0: Good morning, the Field Church family, and welcome to this worship service. I pray God's blessing on you in Christ Jesus, and I pray that God has been growing you during this season in ways that you will have been changed forever, that you're becoming more like Christ, that you're becoming more committed to Christ, and that you're becoming more devoted to the mission of Christ. And you know, it's amazing that Jesus chooses to use us for his mission, to use us for the spread of his gospel. Jesus aims for his gospel to spread to different people, to different regions, to different countries around the world. And he chooses his servants to spread his message of salvation. And that's what this very simple section in Luke will show us today, that Jesus chooses to send servants to spread his message of salvation. So in order to learn from and be changed by this simple passage, please open your Bible to the beginning of Luke chapter nine. The beginning of Luke chapter nine. You know, in his ministry, during his time on earth, Jesus's ambition was to glorify his father by proving to be the son of God and by causing people to believe in him and be forgiven of his sin. So for three years, Jesus gave testimony firstly about himself, demonstrating and teaching that he is the Messiah. And that in him, sinners find forgiveness and entrance into the kingdom of God. To prove this, he taught He fulfilled prophecies, he healed, and he performed performed miracles. Luke has recorded these witnesses, witness after witness, since the start of the book of Luke. And Jesus, especially during his time of ministry, testified about himself, about himself, who he is, the kingdom of God, and the gospel. Now, although Jesus can continue to accomplish this work on his own, he also chooses 12 sent ones or apostles sent ones. That's what apostle means. And so he chooses 12-sent ones to spread his message of salvation as their main priority. So the apostles were now sent to give testimony about Jesus. And Jesus does work in in them and, and then does work through them. He teaches them, they follow him, they learn from him, they serve him and they serve the crowds and he sends them out as witnesses. And this is exactly what we see in the book of Luke. And this is exactly what it will look like permanently. You see, he will do this in today's passage. He will send out the apostles to witness about him. In chapter 9 of Luke, as we look at this text, it's going to be a meaningful turning point in Jesus' ministry. You see, although simple, it's a very important transition section of Luke. He's going to send out these sent ones um, to herald his message of salvation. And that tactic that begins here will really last on forever. You see, just as the four Gospels Flow seamlessly into the book of Acts and then on into the epistles, so also the commission to the sent ones who proclaim his kingdom will also flow seamlessly from the apostles on into the early disciples and then to the church and including us as we enter into his plan as born-again believers. And so we see Jesus, he testified about himself We see the apostles were called to testify him. But as we talked about, Jesus is choosing now to send sent ones permanently for his cause. And so therefore, we too are sent to give testimony about Jesus. It is every Christian's duty and delight to proclaim the kingdom of God, to gather together, to go out, to give witness about the Messiah. We are sent to let people know about the Son of God and that offer of forgiveness that Jesus gives. And Jesus is called to follow him for every person on the planet. And so God's kingdom then is set to advance through Jesus' witnessing servants. So as we are looking today at every point in this text, what we're seeing in the light of God's greater story is that we're seeing this very point in history, in the transition passage that we're looking at today, although simple, the very point in history where it is established that Jesus chooses to send servants to spread his message of salvation. This is the point in which this is established. And so we will see two broad categories today as we look at this established, two broad categories. And those two categories are pattern and practice. So these, this pattern and practice will be the backdrop of what we see today. In regards to pattern, let me explain what this means. Today's text marks the beginning of a new pattern in scripture a new pattern today we see in this simple verse in these simple verses in this simple section a new pattern today we see the beginning of the gospel really starting to advance through Christ's servants, through his sent ones. This is, of course, to become the permanent pattern of the church. This is really, for the first time in this moment, in this text that we're about to read, happening. This is the very first time. It marks a crucial turning of the page. And this is, of course, where we can look back to, even before the Great Commission, as Jesus' starting point and training ground for his sent ones to be the ones who gather, who go, and who give the gospel to the world, right? So this is the pattern that is being established in God's redemptive story. And so at the same time, something else is happening, and it's kind of fun and exciting and interesting to look at. It's that we also get a glimpse into Jesus' Practice, his practice, as Alan Iverson would say, we're talking about practice, which is what I mean by practice is this, that we're going to see how this one, this Jesus, the Son of God, the the instructor, the teacher, the shepherd, um, the overseer, how this one gives instructions as to how these sent ones are supposed to go. And we're also going to see his leadership in this, how he gathered his sent ones, how he prepared his sent ones, how he sent his apostles specifically. And so we as Christians can gain Much insight from this into the Lord's leadership, into our duties for multiplication. And then also our practice of, as we go, um, sharing this message, what our duty is. And so therefore, we see the two categories as the backdrop. Jesus sends his missionaries, his sent ones, to go carry on his message of salvation. We're going to see this picture of of pattern being established and practice being established. And then within these uh, two categories, kind of against the backdrop of these two categories, we're going to focus on three points, three observations, really. These points are just going to teach us about the pattern and practice of multiplication. And so how Jesus chooses to send servants to spread his message of salvation. So these three points are really going to be the observations of how he goes about doing this. So we observe through Jesus sending out the 12, and we're going to gain insight into our task for all Christians to to be the proclaimers of the kingdom, And so how Jesus sends his servants and the pattern that's being established, because we are given the commission to bring about his gospel to the ends of the earth. So let's pray as we look today at Jesus choosing to send his servants to spread his message of salvation, that we would see the sending of the 12, the pattern established, and we would see the the pattern that um, we uh fall into. It's also our pattern of how we live and then also the practice. And as we look at this, let's pray that we're convinced, that we're gripped by, um, that we would be changed by, that he would teach us uh, about the, the task that we have as believers in Christ to spread his gospel. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to grip us and teach us as he sends us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you that even though you don't need us, Jesus, that you choose to send your servants to spread your message of salvation. You establish here as we have seen you be the only one who is spreading this message so far in Luke. Really, you are the main Uh, one who who is teaching and proclaiming and then yet you establish and send your apostles as a new pattern and that moves into our lives as we are called to be sent ones as born again believers i pray that as we see this pattern and we see the practice of you sending out sent ones for the message to spread that we would take heed that we would fulfill our calling as, as Christians, and that we would be used of you to see the gospel spread to the ends of the earth. Thank you, Jesus, that you choose us even though you don't need us to be part of your plan. Help us now to learn and to be gripped by your message. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read Luke chapter nine, verses one through six. That's our passage um, that we are moving into. Luke chapter nine, verses one through six. And he called the 12 together and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there. And from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and they went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. And so as we look at this text, how refreshingly simple and entirely helpful This passage really is. Now, this passage will take us two weeks to teach through. This morning, we're going to focus on verses one through two, which is where our three points in our observation will come from. So let's begin to talk about it today. If you look at your text, follow along with us. The first observation we make in seeing how Jesus chooses to send his servants to spread his message of salvation is that the apostles, number one, were called and gathered by Christ. Number one, the apostles were called and gathered by Christ. We see this in verses in verse 1a. Now this shows us really clearly both pattern and practice of multiplication. Okay this passage really shows us both pattern and practice of multiplication. So why this passage is going to take us a couple of weeks to get through because although it's short in quantity of verses is it's because we can we can see these verses easily but we have to get to these verses before we can get to the verses themselves and before we can get to the a verse associated with this first point specifically there's a lot of background work that we can that we have to see because of this important transitional passage of of the of the gospel of luke and so um so we have to do a little bit of background work before we can see uh, really these verses Particularly and especially this verse associated with this first point. So let's look at this uh, at this background. This is a significant turning point in the life and the ministry of Jesus. It's a transition passage for Luke. So it stands out, you could say, as a pillar in the timeline of Jesus' ministry. The beginning of chapter nine, it really is one of those well-known pivotal places in the text, in the greater story, in God's greater story, it marks the beginning of a new pattern of Jesus's sent ones, his apostles here, being sent out in an official capacity to be the main conduits for the gospel to go forward. This is the first time this pattern is being established and people are going to be saved Through this new pattern. So, when I say new pattern, I simply mean that before this point, Jesus did the work of the ministry on his own. OK, so for following the storyline of Luke, we see this transitional passage. We see that he gathered and, he, and he's going to send out um, these uh, apostles. Right. He calls them and he gathers them before really the, the, the calling and the gathering. There's a lot going on here. And what's going on is before this calling, before this gathering, Jesus did all of this work all of the work of the ministry by himself. So this is the beginning of the new and soon to be established permanently pattern. This is involving his sent ones as the trusted mouthpieces Of the gospel. And of course, listen, this pattern we know isn't really new. It's just now coming into play. It's now being made manifest. You see, this was the plan of God even before the ages began for his sent ones to bring his message, to use his apostles, his disciples, including us to be the proclaimers of the kingdom. This was already established. Now it's just coming to light. But we even see Paul testify. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 12, he says says to Timothy, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner. He's telling Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel and don't be ashamed of me because I'm suffering for the gospel. But he says to Timothy, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purposes and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And so Paul and Timothy were called by Christ to be saved and to be used even before the ages began. And this has now been made manifest through the appearing of The Savior Christ Jesus, the gospel has been shown and now it's advancing. It's been made manifest. And this Jesus abolished death and brought life and immortality to light. Through the gospel, salvation is possible. And now this is the reason why Paul was appointed a preacher and an apostle and teacher, which is why he suffers as he does. He's not ashamed, he says, for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard until the day what has been entrusted to me. And so the gospel has been entrusted to him, to Paul and to Timothy. And this was the plan prior to even the ages Beginning, God has established this plan to save and to use Paul for the gospel. So this pattern was already established. It's just now in Luke's story being made manifest. You see, God established this plan well in advance, in uh, in the years prior, uh, in the ages, uh, beginning in the beginning of of time, really, to even use us as well. Ephesians two eight. Through 10 tells us that this was his plan for us since the beginning of time. It says, for by grace, you have been saved, church, through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Look at this. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. And so, and walk in them. And so, we have had good works appointed that we would walk in even prior to us coming to Christ. And so we see evidences that this plan was established by God before the apostles were sent out. It wasn't because they were great. It wasn't because they had some strength. It wasn't because they told Jesus, hey, this would be a good plan, send us out. God established this plan, but now in Luke it's being made manifest. And so we see also even in the Old Testament, evidences there of God's eternal plans to use his servants for his namesake, look at this from the words of Jeremiah. Look at the Lord's words to the prophet Jeremiah. He sa- it says, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you, Jeremiah, in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. He was appointed as a prophet to the nations before he was even formed. And so he says, Jeremiah says, then I said, ah, Lord, God, behold, I do not know how to speak for I'm only a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a youth for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth, Jeremiah was a mouthpiece for God. Established before uh, Jeremiah was even formed in the womb, and so this is God's plan. This was and is God's plan and pattern to use His servants to proclaim His message of. Salvation. But here in the New Testament, remember, Jesus was doing this by himself. He's sending out his apostles. Now we too are called to, to take part in this pattern. It's established for us to be his mouthpieces. But up until this point in Luke chapter 9, Jesus has been the only one doing it. Now, here, what we see is that this new covenant is going to advance through God's servants. This is the, the, the pattern established here. So In the New Testament to advance the new covenant, this is the entrance of the kingdom and it's by the blood of the son. So Luke shows us the beginning of this official pattern. And so this is so important for us to understand that this is the pattern. This is the plan. This is the norm. It was established in the beginning. It is new here in Luke, but it is the pattern Permanently established God's servants advance his message as they share the gospel to spread his salvation and entrance into his kingdom for Christ's servants to live as sent ones to share his message of Salvation. You see, this is your job and my job. This is the pattern of all Christians. You see, back in the story, as we look back to Luke chapter 9, even before we touch on the verse of this first point, What we see is that Jesus, he grew up, as we even look at the backdrop of all of Luke up into this point, he grew up doing virtually no ministry at all. Okay, so let's follow this kind of history here. In the small town of Nazareth, right, Jesus was living sinlessly. And that sinless life was important because it counts for us. But that's what he was doing as a boy. That's it. He was living sinlessly, virtually no ministry, right? Right. And at 30 years old, okay, 30 years of age, Jesus began his earthly ministry. Do you remember this when we covered it? It was beginning with the baptism of John and the declaration of Jesus as the Messiah. That's when his ministry, his official ministry started. Jesus's ministry lasted three years and it ends with the cross, the resurrection, the ascension. Well, at this point in Luke chapter 9, verse 1, as he's establishing this new pattern, and as we see the practice of him establishing this new pattern in this text, We're about halfway through Jesus's three years of ministry. So think about this. 18 months down, 18 months to go. This is what we have at this point. 18 months left of his time here on earth. And then it is finished. So for the first half, Jesus did all the ministry on his own. He did all the preaching. He did all the healing. He did all the defending. He did all the praying. He did all the answering. He used his words uh, were, were the defense to all the critics. He did all the leading. He did it all. And Jesus, of course, he doesn't need to add anybody to this plan. He can do it all. By himself, he's fully God. But this was his plan to send his servants and to use them to spread his message. You see, Jesus sends his servants to share his message of salvation. He started it by himself. The apostles were going to be sent. Then he uses us as well. And we see how this has taken place across time so far up into this point. He can do this by himself. He doesn't need anybody else, but he chooses to use his servants. Now he's about to gather his apostles and he's about to send them out for the first time, right? That's our first point. But very interestingly and intriguingly, during this time on earth, before he's done this, he's done all the ministry by himself, right? He is also uh, uh, fully God, but he's also fully man. So listen, although he's capable of doing all of this ministry on his own, Right. Although that he is fully capable of this, he's also listen, I want us to see the reality that he's also fully man. And so what we see in this passage is very, very intriguing because he's establishing this new pattern, but he's doing it for some very real reasons as well. Okay, so he can do this on his own, but why does he send his servants? Well, uh, there's a lot of reasons, but there's a few that we see so far in the book of Luke that are very real and that have to do with the background of this passage. And so of sending his servants, we see there are very real reasons and they're transferable to us. Why does he use his servants when he can do it by himself? Well, listen, God makes all of his purposes and plans to exist in reality, right? So God is... Is, is not hindered or he's not uh, there's uh, by any encumbrance and there is also no reason why he has to be forced into using us but Jesus did choose his servants for some very real reasons and they take uh, and they really find their first place here in this passage. So it's really very interesting okay His ministry, Um, First, what we see is that his ministry really existed from like where he was physically, because he was fully God but fully man. And so, one of the main reasons he sent out apostles starts here, and we see that one of the main reasons for this is that he uses his servants in light of geography for the purpose of simply put, uh, the spread of his message to different parts, different regions around the earth. And so, what is the reason why he uses his servants. Well, he doesn't need to use us, but here we find some very real reasons. Up until this point, there are geographical reasons, and that transfers to us, right? And I'll show you how and why. So for the spread of his message to go to different geographical places for all peoples Jesus sends his servants to share and spread his message of salvation so in Luke chapter 9 verses 1 through 6 which is our text Jesus is sending his servants out to share the good news why well because in verse 51 of this same chapter chapter 9 Jesus's Galilean ministry will be over so at that point Jesus sets his face to go up to Jerusalem which is the area that he's going to die. So Mark chapter 5 and 6 really records the sequence of this whole story, okay? So Pay attention, follow this, okay? He records the sequence chronologically. Luke really doesn't show the chronology of this, but if you read Mark's chapters 5 and Mark chapter 5 and 6, you're gonna see the chronology of this. And you go ahead and read those chapters even after today's message. But essentially, listen, we see Jesus heal the demon possessed man on the shore, you remember this. Then he goes with Jairus after he gets back to Capernaum. And on his way, he heals the woman who has a disease. Then he goes back to Nazareth, as Mark tells us, for one last gospel presentation and effort to save. Um, people in his hometown. But Mark six tells us as he's there, he's rejected. And so he goes around then teaching in villages. Mark six says by himself. So no apostles, no disciples. He's teaching on his own. And then to give Galilee one more shot before he goes to Jerusalem, he is then, uh, as we uh, see back in Luke chapter nine, verse one, then we kind of come back here. He Heads to a place where he is going to invite his apostles to join him in this Mission. That's where Luke 9.1 picks up. So he's healed the, the, uh, the demon-possessed man. He's got Jairus. He's on his way. He heals the woman. He goes back to Nazareth. He has a gospel presentation. He's rejected. And then he goes around teaching by himself in these villages. He wants to now, after he uh, does that, um, he wants to give Galilee one more shot before he heads up to Jerusalem. So he summons the 12 to come and to be a part of his plan to be sent out. That's where Luke 9 1 again picks up. So listen, he's got to cover a lot of ground in a very short amount of time. Right. That's what we're seeing here. This is a very practical reason. So, of course, we see this new pattern in and uh, and it's established permanently. Jesus doesn't need us but he sends his servants to share his message of salvation. It's starting here in Luke chapter 9 as we see this new pattern established and it's for some very real purposes. Jesus is not limited by them. He can do them on his own but his plans and his purposes exist in reality and one of those realities is geographical purposes. His message needs to spread to a very wide area in a very short amount of time. Now listen, and while he's on here on earth, he can only be in one place at one time Physically, So his ministry exists wherever he is. Now, we all know that after the ascension and after Pentecost, specifically, that Jesus's ministry is present, actually, wherever his servants are present. Because Jesus is with his sent ones wherever they go. So Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Jesus says... Go and make disciples of all nations. He's sending them and us out again, just like he's doing with these apostles, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, look at this. I am am with you always to the end of the age. And so Jesus's purpose is, here are geographical, and they're also geographical for us. Wherever we go, Jesus goes, his ministry goes, his message goes. And there is a lot of space, a lot of room, a lot of people, a lot of places that his message must go. So Jesus sends his servants for the purpose of spreading the message to every person and every area in this region and for us to every person and every area on the globe. The goal is that every person on the earth would hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then Jesus will return. So we focus on unreached and and, uh, unengaged people groups. There are people who have never heard the gospel Ever, they don't know a friend who knows a friend, who knows a brother, who knows a family member. They don't know anybody who knows the gospel message that could tell it to them. And so Jesus sends his servants to go to those people and places for for geographical reasons that we would spread. And so you, listen, church believer in Christ, you too are a sent one. You too are called to deliver his message to the area, or geographical region that you live in currently. That's the place in which God wants to use you. The plan for the gospel to reach the people around you is you. Your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, the people you see at the gym, at the grocery store. If you want them to be saved, you're the plan because Jesus has sent you into that particular geographical region, right? If you don't, if you don't, um, listen, it's you're not loving the people that God has placed around you. He has put you there on Purpose, And if he sends you to another place, then you'll share with those people, too. But this message needs to spread to every crevice of the globe. And he uses his sent ones to bring it there. So this was about geography. This, Jesus was sending them out for, for the purpose of this spreading to, to places. And, but this was also, it, it was not only about geography, but this was also about Urgency. It was about geography, but it was also about urgency. So back to our story and the kind of background to this particular text, his disciples are about to blitz Galilee with the message. Remember the timeline of how Jesus is now back at this point calling the twelve. Verse 51, he's about to set his face to go up to Jerusalem, and that's the plan. The Galilean ministry is over. Not much time left. So not only do we have to cover a lot of space, and there's a lot of people in a short amount of time before we head up to Jerusalem, now that I'm back from Nazareth, and now that I'm calling you to do this, we got a a lot of ground to cover, but also Jesus is, is about to leave in a short amount of time. They're about to go up to Jerusalem soon. So there's an urgency issue, right? They're about to blitz Galilee with the message and there's not much time left. And listen, this is not only about this particular story. Okay. Um, There's not a lot of time left for their lives. Okay so this is much bigger than Jesus just about to be leaving and them not uh, having him there anymore because this the truth of the matter is uh, Psalm 90 even tells us the years of our lives are 70 and even by reason of strength 80 right there's no real good uh, person that lasts more than a certain amount of time on earth no matter what your occupation, no matter what your strength, no matter what your financial situation is, everyone dies and life is short. So there's an urgency, not only because he's about to leave, but because one of those people could be also gone tomorrow. But in this particular context, there's an urgency because he doesn't have a lot of time left before he goes to Jerusalem. So also for the apostles, Christ was leaving earth. Right? As soon, in 18 months, Christ would leave earth. For us, the urgency is that Christ is coming back to earth. They must share the, the news and, and they want people to see the message and see the miracles of Christ prior to him leaving. We want people to see and hear the message of the gospel prior to him coming. There's an urgency. Christ is coming back. And Hebrews 9.27 tells us, It is appointed for man to die once, And after that comes judgment. There is an urgency for them. He's about to go up to Jerusalem. In 18 months, he's going to die. And for us, there's an urgency because everybody has a short life, no matter who you are. And everybody is going to die and face judgment. And Jesus is going to return And so we have an urgency for us to share the gospel. It is for us the same urgency that it was for them. Christ's sent ones should share the gospel with a sense of urgency. Not that it depends on you, but that it is an urgent, urgent message. Christ sends his messengers because there is an urgency. We pray that those we meet would receive the gospel before it's too late. In a, in a very real sense, he spreads this message out for the purpose of getting it to people quickly. And so as more people bring the message, more people hear the message, and time, we, we can see more people cover ground in a short amount of time. That was the reality here. And the tr- same is truth for us. It's true for us. But listen, we need to be people who share this message with urgency. There is a real possibility That the person that you love, the people you love, the people around you will not be there tomorrow. There's a real possibility that the people that you love won't be there tomorrow. Share the gospel with them. Don't wait. This is about geography, this was about urgency. And Christ was sending out his apostles in a real way because it was also about necessity. There was a couple of needs here. One is that the apostles would grow and two, that there would be laborers for the kingdom. And so Jesus doesn't need, really need his apostles. So when we say necessity, Jesus could do this work on his own. But again, this is happening in a very real way. Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man. And so what he wanted to do was he wanted to train up his disciples, his apostles specifically, right? He is showing them what it looks like to be followers of him. Jesus doesn't need them. In fact, he is much more capable and powerful than we could ever fathom, right? He can do this on his own in the blink of an eye. And there was no need for him to have help. But in his loving kindness, there was need for the disciples, the apostles to grow. And they would only grow through living on mission, right? There was need for them to grow through particularly Suffering, suffering directly in the path of advancing the gospel. So they, they are being called and sent out for geographical reasons, a lot of space to cover, a short amount of time, for urgency reasons. He's about to go up to Jerusalem and for necessity reasons, right? They need to grow, they need to become more like Christ, and the path. Through them, of them growing is going to be through suffering for the sake of the gospel. They're going to be persecuted. This suffering happens directly in the path of advancing the gospel. This is real persecution that will take place for them, and this is what will make them more. Christ-like, when they share in His sufferings in advancing the message of salvation, that's what will make them more like Jesus. That, right? That's easy. That's simple for us to under- understand. They're going to share in His sufferings. They're going to be um, persecuted and mocked, although innocent. They're going to suffer unjustly. They're going to endure sufferings. They're not going to. They're going to try not to revile in return. They are going to have to share in Christ's sufferings as they proclaim this message, which will ultimately grow them into Christ's likeness. And the truth is that this is the only way that certain Christian growth comes. So listen, for you and I, if we are unwilling to share our faith, if we don't share the gospel on a regular basis, and you don't regularly share Christ, and you don't regularly proclaim his kingdom with those around you, you will have a limit as to how much more like Christ you will become. On this earth. There's no way around it. Evangelism and suffering through rejection happens in such a way that it makes us more like Jesus. And so as we're persecuted because of our sharing and as we're rejected because of our evangelism, we share in the sufferings of Christ and become more like Him. And so we must share the gospel to become more Christ-like. Although it's for the purpose of the salvation of others and for the glory of God, we grow. So there was need for the apostles to grow and there was also need for laborers, right? As we see Jesus say in Matthew 9, verses 37 through 38, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. There were crowds of thousands and thousands of people people. There was need for more laborers. They had a lot of ground to cover in a short amount of time. There was an urgency because there wasn't much time left. And there was a need because there was a lot of people who needed to hear. There were great needs for laborers, to those who live as sent ones, as their first Priority, proclaiming the gospel. And that's true of us. The world needs laborers. God doesn't need us to accomplish his plan. He's fully competent and capable. He's omnipotent and he's omniscient. He can do all of this work on his own. He's omnipresent. And yet he chooses to use his servants as the pattern that is established here in Luke chapter 9 to share his message of salvation. And we need to take heed to his call upon our lives. There is a great reason. There's geographical reasons. We need this gospel to spread so people can be saved. There's an urgency reason. People will die without ever hearing the gospel message. And there is necessity. There's a lot of people. And God sends his servants to meet these needs by his grace. And so listen, we see that this is happening here. The background of this passage is that's what this is what's happening. Jesus begins the pattern of sending his servants to proclaim his kingdom, which is still the plan and the pattern. If you're a Christian, you're the plan, right? That's the pattern that still exists. God's sent ones proclaim his kingdom. That's you, that's me. If we don't pursue this, we're, we're falling out of step with the pattern that he's established. It just wasn't the a pattern for the apostles. It's the pattern that he established for all Christians. You might say, well, where was, uh, when was I sent? Right? I don't know. Jesus called these people. We're going to see this in a minute. As we look at verse one, particularly he called them. When did he call me? When was I officially sent? How do you know that I have that same calling? Well, you were called as soon as you were saved. That's the truth for all Christians. As soon as you were saved, you are sent when you are saved. Because from that moment on, you could tell of the good news that you have received with spiritual understanding with the eyes of your heart having been enlightened to understand and to share his word. And you might say, okay, well, I was sent as soon as I was saved, but where have I been sent? Well, you have been sent right where you are. That's the people. Those are the people that Christ wants you to share with. There's an urgency there. There is a need there. And he is calling you. He has sent you There and to that geographical location. God may send you to other specific places or countries or unreached or unengaged people groups. And if He does, you go there and you share while you're there. But God, as He sends His people, we know that at any moment, at any point, in any time, if you have any lost people around you at all, you proclaim the message of salvation. To them, where you are. So, this is the understanding in the background. The apostles go from learners to preachers in this particular moment, and a new pattern is established permanently that God's sent ones, Jesus's sent ones, his servants share his message of salvation, right? This is the understanding in the background. The apostles are being called here to go. So, let's now go back to our text and look at the specifics of the text. Briefly, and the first point that we had already said was that the apostles were called and gathered by Christ. We see that in verse 1a. So it says this, and he called the 12 together. He called the 12 together. Look at your text. He said, it says there in the beginning, and he called the 12 together. Okay, so as we look at this, Jesus is now sending out the 12. And we see in this verse 1, follow along in the text with me as we look at it, that he first, he calls them. Right. He called the twelve together. He calls them. This is very simple, Uh, but this is so helpful to understanding now the practice. Right. This is the the practice of how we see Jesus do that, of how Jesus chooses to send servants to spread his message of salvation. This is how these apostles, listen, they were already called to faith in Christ. So when we look at this first Uh, portion here of this verse when we see calling it's not talking about their salvation they were already called to faith in christ we see peter and james and john and andrew for instance for an example to they believed in jesus as the messiah in john chapter one you can look at that you can go back there but then they go back to their nets Right. This is a particular time in history. So they believe and then they go back to their nets, back to normal life. And then we see in Matthew chapter four, for instance, or in Luke chapter five, that Jesus calls them to committed discipleship. That's kind of step two in this way, right? And then we see in Luke chapter six, this is kind of step three, that they were called to apostleship. So in Luke chapter six, it says, when day came, he called his disciples, this is the 12, and he chose from them 12, whom he named apostles. Simon, he named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So this is the calling now into another step. This is the apostleship. So we have the, the uh, saving faith. We have the committed discipleship. And we have this now specific calling into apostleship, where they're going to be called to go and multiply, to share and to spread the message of Jesus. And so then what we see is after they go and they, uh, they're sent, if we jump down a little bit, even in chapter uh, 9 and verse 10, we're going to see that they're going to re- return back from going for this first time. And they're going to share with Jesus all that had happened, right? And uh, they're going to report back to Jesus. And in the same verses, we see that they all withdrew, Jesus and these apostles, to discuss what they've learned. And so then what we're going to see then as the story unfolds, the final step will be the great commission, right? Where he releases them, period. And so Mark here says that they were sent out two by two, right? This is the same story. Mark chapter six, verse seven. And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits, which by the way, side note, myself, Pastor Chad, Pastor Taylor, Pastor Tanner can verify to the effectiveness of ministers paired in twos rather than flying solo in the ministry, right? But what a practice to follow. This is the full progression as we look at this particular calling in verse one. Here's the model of him sending, ready? And we could take this. And if we took time, could be more specific, right? Calls them to salvation, calls them to committed discipleship, cause them to ministerial or multiplication, focus, commitment, right? Then he sends them out um, in a sort of way where he is involved in this. Um, He debriefs and he discusses With them, and then they're going to work more with him and follow his teachings. And then eventually, as he ascends, he's going to release them, right? And so, this is the pattern and practice that we see of Jesus's leadership, right? This is how committed, sent ones are established, we're saved. We commit to discipleship. We commit to multiplication. We are sent out, right? There is a learning and an instruction that comes from Jesus. And we're released, right? This is what we're all about. We're never on our own because his spirit is inside of us and his word is our instruction. But this is the pattern Jesus sets up here. So these men, they're normal. These are normal men. They're unskilled. They're called. To be sent out, and this is what Jesus is doing in this particular moment. Verse 1 in this chapter of chapter 9, he's first calling them. Um, together. This is not the official calling of their salvation. This is the beginning of the calling to be sent out. And again, these are normal men. So listen, if you think I can't be called like this to be sent out, if you're saved, you're sent. And so it doesn't matter um, what kind of skill set you have. These men are ordinary. Really, in a lot of ways, it feels like less than ordinary, right? Because they are not a theologically deep people already. They haven't had a lot of time to, to focus on these things. They aren't being chosen because they're great. They're workers with their hands. They're not even really smart, uh, most of them. Right, They don't even study, but God's going to use them in incredible ways. And so these 12 apostles, they're leaders of the new covenant. And, and uh, if we had more time, we could talk about how they're replacing the 12 tribes of, of Israel. Christ is calling them to be sent out for this new covenant. This is the main purpose, to do the work of the ministry. Christ is calling them, but he's not only Calling them, he's also calling them together. This is one of the main reasons that we see this exists, is because he's showing us how this calling is taking place. He's calling them together. Now, listen, this is very, very important for us to notice. Here's another practice, right? We see in verse 1 of chapter 9, he calls them, but he also called them, the 12, together. He's going to send them out. Right. And so before he does that, he calls them to be together Um, as we see that when he calls them to gather here, these ordinary men, listen, they are people who have different lives. They are some of them at home. Some of them are with their families. Some of them are hanging out all together all the time, but not all of them, right? There's two sets of brothers, James and John and Andrew and Peter, they're probably together a lot of the time. Uh, But they're many times on their own, right? They're spread out. They're not always uh, with each other up until this point. And remember, Mark even told us that Jesus had just got done with proclaiming in the villages by himself. And so this is simply what's happening. But it sets up a pattern and a practice, right? So he calls them to be sent out, but he calls them first to gather OK, so before they're sent, they're together and they needed to first be gathered. Jesus is calling them together before sending them. What a great pattern that he's established and what a great practice for us. And listen, how practical we miss this in the midst of a pandemic. Each week we have the inability to gather We must fight, church, listen, and and not just in the time of pandemic, but in general. If we are going to be ones who are sent to proclaim the message, as Jesus has called us into salvation, as he has called us into discipleship, as he has called us to be sent, and as he sends us out, we need to be people who gather together regularly he sent them out two by twos we have to be people who are gathering regularly church if we're going to be effective for the kingdom there must be unity and it's not just for the sake of the of the of the gospel um, spreading in particular ways but for the sake of the glory of god and the uh and the establishment and the last uh, the lasting work of his church there must be unity there must be loyalty There must be forgiveness. There must be oneness. Church, listen, you must not be on an island. You must fight not to be on an island. Because in our own preferences and in our own selfishness and in our own pride, we will be tempted to live on an island. We must fight to let those differences of lifestyle or opinion about politics or practices of the coronavirus or sports teams get in the way of true unity. We must pursue humility. We have to not revile in return. We have to pursue uh, outdoing each other in love. We must imitate what real love looks like. We must forgive. This is the way in which God calls us to live, to put down burdens and to love each other well um, right now in my life, God is teaching me a lot about this, about what it means to pursue humility and to pursue a, a love, a gentleness, a shepherding even of you, of our, of our people. And, and I've even thought through and realized how deep pride goes, how deep that goes. And, and sometimes we might be tricked by it. Really, we have a need maybe to be right or to get what we want, and we don't even see it like that. And so out of this comes pride and just subtle ways of, of hurt and unforgiveness and gossip and, and, uh, and even being passive aggressive. And, and listen, church, we can't be these types of people. We got to be people who in every way are unified, are loyal, because each one of us is prideful. And that's really the issue at the heart of all, all of this. It's always the heart of the issue. Pride is always at the root for you, particularly. Yes, you and me. It's always the root. There is more pride existing than you can even understand. It's a reason why we hold on to bitterness or that we judge or that we can't forgive or that we want things to go our way, or that we must have the last word in order to be right. It's all pride. Listen, church, if we would lay down our lives to be people who don't need to build a false identity, we just don't need it. That we would see that God gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That we'd be gentle and lowly in heart. That we would cry out to God anxiously for the things we need, but we would love our brothers and sisters that we would give vulnerability, we would share, that we would be with each other, be loyal, committed, and we would see God's grace pour out. God would use us to advance his gospel message. We have to pursue love and gentleness, and God will use us. Vulnerability, commitment, unity, For the sake of the benefit of the other, for the glory of God. This is how the gospel will go forth through a people. And this is what's happening. We see that Christ's calling them together and then going to send them out. So we see the background. We see this first point that Jesus choosing and calling and gathering he's choosing his servants he's establishing the pattern to send his servants to spread his message of salvation and the apostles are called and gathered by Christ secondly and just briefly two further observations about these first two verses secondly uh the apostles were empowered And then sent by Christ. And so first, we see the apostles were called and gathered by Christ. Secondly, the apostles were empowered and sent by Christ. And so what we see in this next portion here is that after they're gathered together, he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal We see this even into verse two, really, to do exactly what Jesus did. The power that he gave them was the power that. He had to do miracles and to heal. And he gave them power and authority over even demons. So, so far, what have we learned about his power over demons and disease, right? At this point, he has shown us that he has all power over demons, over disease, even over death, which we'll see later on in the scriptures. The apostles even raised people from the dead. They have this power, his power. That's what's being given to him, which is the same pattern that's established to us. Jesus' power lives inside of us through the Holy Spirit, and so this is what's being established here. He gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And here, what's being what's being uh, done is. That they're giving the power to verify the message of the gospel. The purpose is not in the healing or the casting out of the demons or the curing of the diseases. The purpose here is the gospel being proclaimed and going forth. That's the main concern here. But listen, as they shared it, there's no New Testament. There's no scripture writing of the gospel message, um, that New Testament writing that's been written. And so when this is being shared by the apostles, there's no way for the people who are hearing to verify it against the scriptures or to say, yes, what you're saying is true because I can read it in the scriptures. If we go to someplace now and we share a message, people, if you're a, a Bible believing Christian, you'll say, let me hear what you have to say, but let me filter it and process it through what I know the scriptures say, because they're, they take first place. That's where I, I find my source of of truth. There is no scripture. And so the way in which Jesus sent them out to verify the message they were proclaiming was through the miracles, through the healing, through the casting out of the demons. That wasn't the main purpose. The main role was proclamation, but the miracles verified that the message was true. And so listen, This was Jesus empowering them to verify the message. The main purpose was the proclamation of the gospel and their power uh, that that God has given them, Jesus is giving them, their authority um, is to verify this message. And so for us, this pattern is permanently established for us, right? And this is the practice. Jesus sends his Holy Spirit into those who are born again. And that's the power that we receive for the proclamation, right? Acts 1.8, it says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth and so this was this is the power that we receive to proclaim the message of Jesus. Now, there's towards the end of even the book of Acts, when uh, there's New Testament writings, um, we even see some of these miracles begin to cease because you can see the, the verification happening by uh, the looking at the scriptures rather than the miracles needing to be seen. And so for us, what we see is that our empowerment is through the Holy Spirit and the New Testament uh, gives the verifying words that our message is true. Second um, Peter 1.21 we see that the power for the apostles um, to write the New Testament was given through the Holy Spirit. It says for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so the same pattern is established. Jesus empowers his servants to go proclaim his message. We're empowered and we're sent after we're called To go multiply and gather. And so, as we look at this, what a great pattern and practice that we see so far. Jesus is doing this ministry by himself, and then he calls the apostles to do it. He calls us to do it, though he doesn't need us. And the practice that we see is that he is calling us. By his word, he's gathering us together to be of one mind, a church that's sent out into the world. We're empowered by his spirit and he sends us. Number three, lastly, um, what we see in our passage in verse two is that the apostles proclaimed and then they showed the compassion of Christ. So this is really them executing the task, right? As we look in verse two, it says this. It says, It says, And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. That's it. They're executing. After he sends them, they execute, right? And he sent them out to execute certain things. And so what did he send them out to execute? Well, to proclaim, as we talked about, being the number one priority, but also to heal. But healing, again, was only in support of the proclamation. And so what we know, though, also, which is what we're pointing out here, is that the compassion element was involved here also. If you think about this, as Jesus sends out his apostles to proclaim his message as first priority, just as he does us, what we know is that Jesus could really show his power. He could also uh, uh, move his message forward in any way that he wants to. But he always does it through relationships and people, this is compassion. The healing also involves compassion. The miracles, the healing are acts of compassion. He could, could have done this any other way. But again, the main goal is proclamation, the explicit gospel. Now, just for a moment, what are we to proclaim? Well, we're to proclaim the whole gospel, not just the end of the gospel, not the middle, not the beginning. We're called to proclaim the whole thing, that God is holy Right. If you're saying, "Okay, how do I proclaim if I'm sent, if he calls me to multiply and if he gathers me in a church and as he empowers me and sends me out as I proclaim and show the compassion of Christ, what do I proclaim? Well, you first proclaim that God is holy. He's perfect. He's without sin. And he calls us to live for his glory, that we would be a people who live to show him And yet the Bible tells us that we all fall short of the glory of God. And so the Bible says that we are sinners. We have to spend time talking about sin. The fact is that we are guilty and we have no need for a savior or a physician until we understand our need to have our sins forgiven. And so God is holy. We're called to live for his glory. And yet we fall short of this um, by uh, by sinning. And we're all sinners. And the Bible tells us that there is a penalty for this sin, which is death or hell. Um, And so the 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 proclamation needs to include um, what even some of us would include, the Bad news of the good news, which is that we are sinners and we deserve hell, that we have fallen short of God's glory. But the good news is that God sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for our sins. And when we trust in Christ, when we repent of living for ourselves and we turn to living for Christ and we believe in who he is and what he's done for us on the cross We're saved and then we spend a lifetime following him according to his his word. And so this is the message that they are proclaiming, the explicit gospel, and you can proclaim this message too. In this passage, we've seen how Jesus calls his servants to proclaim his message of salvation. That's the new pattern that's established and we see the practice of how he did it. And the apostles were called and gathered They were empowered and sent and they proclaimed and showed the compassion of of Christ. Church, I pray that as we look at this passage and even one more time next week, simply that you would fulfill the great commission that's been given to you. That you would be a sent one who proclaims the message. That you would know that Jesus chooses to use his servants to share his message of salvation. And that includes you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your great kindness to teach us it. We thank you for your great grace to show us. We thank you for your um, wonderful counsel that you have established this pattern. Although you don't need anybody at all, you don't need anybody, yet you choose to use your servants to share your message of salvation. Thank you for that. Help us to be those who, who fulfill this commission by gathering with other believers. By as, and as we gather, understand that the calling is upon all of us, that we're empowered by your spirit. And as we're empowered uh, by your spirit and we, and we go and we're sent out, um, we proclaim the message and we show the compassion of you, Jesus. Help us to understand that we're part of this story no matter where we're at, Um, No matter what uh, resources that we have, um, there is a need, there is an urgency for this gospel message to spread. Help us to fulfill even this week our commission to be proclaimers of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.